It's recording. You're live. <laughs> we think. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe I'll be as wise as Steve now. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're much younger, so you don't need them yet. Uh, yeah, I can, I can. Hey, watch that, Steve. I wear glasses. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're on hold. Okay. All right, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Today's going to be fun, I hope. Uh, this last mystery, man, I just, there's so much in my head to, to think about. Um, Steve's exactly right that, you know, one of the purposes of this class is that we be established. You know, that's, that's in our core the, the verse in Romans uh, 15, I think, that we be established. And we've taken the summer, we went through a bunch of stuff on discipleship, these last this last month or so, we focused on the mysteries, which is cool because you've probably noticed Brian has mentioned the mysteries several times from the pulpit, yeah. how important he thinks they are. And yesterday at the men's conference, the mysteries came up. Because, I mean, it's a very core thing that we all need to have a handle. Knowing the mysteries that are given to the church, these seven mysteries, really help us put our Bible together and protect us from, from false teaching. Yeah. So... With that, on our handout, we've got our, our series verse there that as ministers of Christ, we're to be stewards, we're to know these mysteries, we're to be able to share them, we're to be able to put them in our life. And the table there at the bottom are the mysteries. And what I thought I would do, I've got another big old big in here. But I'm going to up the ante this time, because I think last time Connie nailed them pretty good. Would someone be bold enough to to give us kind of a summary of each each we've covered six so far, uh, just a just a sentence or so on on what the mystery is, but also I want to just have another sentence or two on what heresy or false teaching that it will protect you from, just to kind of you know, put, a, put put it all together. Does anyone want to give it a shot? Here you go, Jim. Hold the candy up a little higher. <laughs> no, no takers? Okay. It's right here. Well, there's, but I'd like to have a little more than what I put. I put just a high level. For example, I'll, I'll do the first one. The mystery of godliness. You know, like Steve said, you know, we we all know that Jesus was God and that Jesus was was crucified and, and died and, you know, the resurrection. But most of the world doesn't believe that. And many cults don't believe that. I mean, the Mormons, Jehovah Witness, I mean, there's all, a lot of cults. A lot of people in Harrisonville don't believe that. So when they come to your door with these smooth words about, you know, the begotten son and... and the, another popular theory is like the swoon theory that Jesus passed out on the cross and that that cold, damp tomb he kind of revived. Yeah. You know, so he didn't really resurrect. Uh, a lot of movies will, will make reference to that. So, so really having a handle on the mystery of godliness, who Jesus really was, will protect you from that kind of teaching, those cults that are here in town. Lots of those churches in Harrisonville. So that's, that's the first one. Mystery of Christ in the church. Understanding Christ's love for the church and that he died for it. I mean, you guys are the choir here. You're all here on a Sunday morning. but And, and even the people online. I know the COVID stuff's going on, so I'm not talking about that. But there's a lot of, what I call them lone wolf Christians. They're, they want to do home church. You know, I love God. I love Jesus. I don't need to go to a church. 
and that protects you against that. The mystery of Christ in you. That's where we talked about what really happens to us when we accept the Lord as our Savior. The spiritual circumcision that happens. The cutting away of the flesh from the soul. If people really understood what happened to us when we, the day we got saved, the moment we got saved, the false teaching of eternal security would not stand. It's not true. It's easy to prove. It's just that people don't understand what really happened. And by knowing that mystery and all the body of evidence around it, you'll be protected against that. So, Israel's restoration, number four. It's again, it's just kind of the same thing. People don't really understand what's going on. The, the age that we live in now, this church age, what it is. Brian's covered it. You know, when he went through Acts, he, he brought this up several times. How Jesus came as the Messiah to Israel. They rejected him three times. Uh, his blood be upon us. And he put Israel on kind of the back burner for a while. And now he's dealing with us. And he's grafted us in to where we have the same promises. We're fellow heirs with the Jews. But there will be a day. And that day is coming. And the Abraham Accord that happened a few days ago is just further proof that that day is coming. That the church will be raptured out. And Israel will be brought to the forefront. And he can deal with them for rejecting the Messiah which is what the tribulation is. So by understanding all of that, you understand that the church, the, the tribulation is not for the church, we're going to be gone, uh, that, it, that God's not through with Israel, and that all this stuff going on now is just proof of all that. Can you tell us what the Abraham Accord is? I, I read that. Already. Yeah. I don't fully understand. Yeah, it's really cool. The Abraham Accord... Israel became a nation in 19, May 14, 1948. Then uh, they also joined the United Nations. There are around 30 or so countries, I think it's 30, high 20s, that don't recognize Israel as a nation. Um, I don't know how much cord I got here. Yeah, this is a map of Israel. I get to use maps again today. But it's a map of the Mideast, you know, and Israel's right here. Um, they became a country in 1948, and and all these countries around them, like Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, the United Arab Emirates, it's not quite on here. Um, they hate Israel. Saudi, they hate Israel. They won't recognize that they're a country. To those countries, they're squatters on Palestinian land, and that's why they want them out. They have no right to be there. You know, get them out. Well, what's and and all the presidents, you know, Nixon, Camp David, you know, Jimmy Carter, all these presidents over the years have tried to get these nations to recognize Israel as a country. Now, they won't do it. Um, Egypt did in '91 down here, but they're not really the Arab core here. Well, this week with Donald Trump, Jared Kushner and, and all that panel, they were able to get the United Arab Emirates country to recognize that Israel is a nation. So there, it's like a crack in the ice. Christians are going crazy saying this is the peace treaty in Daniel 9, 27. And that's, we're not there yet, but it's definitely a crack in the ice 
that that a a big player has fallen, one of the big Arab nations, mm-hmm. Mohammed bin Zayed, and recognizes Israel. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to see over the coming months or years will be all these other nations coming on board and having a peace treaty. And he's also Mohammed Mohammed bin Zayed, Zayed with a Z has also worked with the Pope on some peace plans, which is that's really cool because that those three religions have to come together to bring in the Antichrist. So this is what we're going to talk about today. So anyway, that's the that's the Abraham Accord, and they called it Abraham because of the three uh, the three religions represented. You know, Trump is the Christian, uh, the Pope, you know, the Christian, and then uh, the UAE is the Islam, and then the Jews. So Christianity, Islam, and Jews all go to Abraham. Yeah. So they call it the Abraham Accords. Gotcha. That is just awesome. That's good. That's a good summary. Thank yeah. You. So that's high level. So, um, so then we talked about the rapture, what that is, how the Lord is taking us out. I'm, I'm not going to spend any more time. I'm going to run out of time here. Yeah. Mystery of iniquity. We talked about the devil last week, and that was cool. It's always fun to really talk about your enemy because we have to know our enemy. So last week we talked about who he is, who he started out, where he where he fits in in Genesis. We went through his, uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel, how he fell. Uh, remember we talked about how the devil was in the Garden of Eden. He liked music. He wears shiny suits. And he's part of the heavenly choir. So uh, I'm sure the devil's very alive in music still because he has been from the beginning. All right, so today we're going to talk about mystery of Babylon the Great. Babylon, mystery religion. All right. Um, you may Sometimes when you see the mysteries, you may see them in a little different order. I, I usually see them in a different order, but I put them, I like this order. <coughs> Because, uh, you know, last week we talked about the devil, the person of the devil. This week we're going to talk about how he, has, uh, how he influences man and religion through history. And it really kind of puts a bow on, on the teaching, really all these teachings. It's kind of the final one. This is, this is what it's all about. So that's what we're going to get into here. Alright. Babylon the Great. Alright, this is found in Revelation 17.5. So let's flip on over. And while we're flipping, remember, we've talked about this before, but the book of Revelation, it's not a hard book once you kind of know the keys. One of the big keys of Revelation is that when Jesus came the first time, there, there, we have four Gospels that talk about Jesus coming the first time. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Revelation, we have four accounts of the second coming. The book's divided into fours. So this, in chapter 17 here, we're actually into the fourth uh, account. Revelation 17. Alright, um, I'm just going to start at verse 1 because we need, we need to get some context. Basically, you know, remember in Revelation, uh, John, the Apostle John that we know and love from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
he was 100 years old roughly he was banished on an island and God came to him and, and kind of gave him these visions and transported him into the future to see all this stuff so we're going to talk about something that God showed him and there came verse 1, 17, 1 and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sits upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness this is where she's at and I saw a woman set upon a scarlet cutted beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns verse 4 and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations of filthiness of her fornication verse 5 and upon her forehead was a name written Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. It was really like astonishment. He's not admiring her. And the angel said unto me, you know, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her which has the seven heads and ten horns. Well, he spends the rest of the chapter telling her exactly what this vision is. And we're going to get into exactly what it is. I even have a drawing in a few pages of exactly what it is. Yeah. Why is uh, verse 5, I don't want to capture the letters like that. Thank you, Rich. I was actually going there next. Because isn't that cool? Because when God does this kind of stuff, you know, flags and bells should go off. Because punctuation matters. Paragraph marks matter. Capitalization matters. This was written this way in the original, I mean always, in the original text. They've always used caps. It's, and we believe it's because this woman is shouting these things. She is making this known. All caps. That's usually when we use caps for, uh, what do you call it? Get it. Getting your point across. Yeah. You know, like when people are yelling you know, on Facebook, full, people use caps. Full attention. full attention. She's got this thing on her head that I am a whore of Babylon. And I am this, this wicked thing. So... That's good. So, yeah, it's always good to notice caps, exclamation points, colons, semicolons. It all matters. It all has a teaching. So, yeah, this woman is not ashamed at all of what she is. Everyone knows it. So, good good, good question. All right, so now the definition. Now I, try, it's, I tried to keep this simple, but what this woman represents that we're going to get into, and we'll talk about all her little characteristics, is the religious system that the devil has started that he has ruled nations and peoples over the years since the very beginning that is Nimrod and we're going to get into Nimrod and and all that because remember how Steve first brought up with Cain and Abel there's two lines there's two seeds 
good and bad, right and wrong, you know, the God and the devil, darkness, light. This follows that along. This is like the devil's church through history that starts in Genesis 10. It started in Genesis 10 and it's still here today. Um, and it's easy to see if you if you know what to look for. And that's what we're going to I'm going to show you. All right, so you know, just quick definition of the words. Babel, we've all heard of the Tower of Babel. That was in Babylon. Babel means confusion. Uh, Babylon actually means gates of the gods, or gate of the gods. So that's what the word Babylon means. Um, located, I had to use a map. You guys know I love maps. I used to use a map every week, but we haven't in a while. <laughs> yeah, back in the day. So... Um, yeah, like I said, this is Israel. You know, Jerusalem's here on the right in the middle of Israel. This is all of the Iran and Iraq area. Babylon is right here. I should have put a little dot on it. Babylon, I think it's on the next page, yeah, is just a little bit south. It's about 50 miles south of Baghdad. It's in Iraq. I remember when I was in school, I've always loved history. And when I was in school, they used to always teach us about the Fertile Crescent, the Mesopotamians, the Samaritans, you know, if you guys heard that kind of talk. That was really the Babylonians is who we were talking about. But they, whenever you take God out of history, then it's boring. And it was kind of boring. But the Fertile Crescent is, is this area here. It's kind of even shaded. It's the Euphrates and the Tigris River Basin that kind of comes up and then back down. Kind of makes a crescent. That's the Fertile Crescent. Babylon's right in the middle of that. So just... Little tidbit there. Yeah, it's a kind of a crescent shape, very fertile. Um, all right, so next page. Let's talk about Babylon for a second, just to kind of get a baseline. Uh, mentioned 300 times in the Bible. It's a big player. The city of Babylon is is over 300 times talked about in our Bible. Uh, now Jerusalem, it's like over 800. So it's, but it's the next Babylon. It's one of the oldest cities in the Bible. Founded by Nimrod, like Steve said, back in Genesis 10.10, which Genesis 10.10, Babylon was founded a couple hundred years before Abraham comes on the scene. So that kind of puts a reference when it started. Now, when you look at Genesis 10.10, does do any bells go off with the 10.10? Genesis 10, 10. <laughs> 10 is the number of the Gentiles. Just mark that down. Just like 12 is the number of it for Israel. You know, 7 is the number of perfection and completion. 10 is Gentiles. Anytime you read about 10 in the Bible, it's, it's the context will be Gentiles. So what we have here is the establishment in Genesis 10, 10 of the first Gentile kingdom. So let, let's just look at it real quick. It's... Just so we can kind of see it. Genesis 10.10. 10. Yeah, this is after the flood. Noah's, uh, Noah's left the house. Alright, Genesis 10.10. 10. Actually, I'm going to start in verse... Uh, well, Cush. Well, verse 6. See in 10.6, we're talking about here, God's given us the sons of Ham which that was one of the sons of Noah. Um, so this, this is the lineage of Ham. And remember, Ham was the one that his son was cursed for the nakedness of Noah, which 
I don't have time to get into that, but that's another thing. But anyway, verse 8. So we're talking about the cursed line here. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And that actually is like against the Lord. The way they're using the word before, he was against the Lord. He was like a hunter of men. He was not a good guy. Wherefore it said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter for the Lord. Verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then these other cities, Eric and Akkad and Kalni. In the land of Shinar. All right, so you've probably heard of Shinar. Mm-hmm. This is kind of close to Abraham's territory. So basically, and, and what, what happened here, this is really all we have about Nimrod in the Bible. Um, for whatever reason, God didn't give us a whole lot of detail on this guy. However, we have a lot of detail about him in secular history, especially from the Babylonians who were meticulous with record-keeping. So we, we, and we learn about Nimrod from a lot of other sources. We can kind of help put the piece puzzle together. But Nimrod's kingdom was through here in Babylon, and it actually extended up into Turkey and even down into Egypt. He had an influence over Egypt that we'll see in a second. Uh, mighty guy started the area, the Shinar is an area. Um, the plains of Shinar. The plains of Shinar. Yeah, it's in our Bible quite a bit. So you can kind of insert Babylon when you, when you read about Shinar. But there's that kind of area. All right, so uh, that's when it was started. It was started by Nimrod, a guy from the cursed line of Noah. Uh, hunter, warrior, kingdom. We'll get into more him in a second. Uh, 50 miles south of Baghdad, point number three. Ancient Babylonians. We've all heard of the Babylonians. They were... Um, they were masters at a, at a lot of things. Somehow they had a lot of knowledge with astronomy and, and metalworking and woodworking. And There's actually a very cool book I read like 20 years ago about the Genesis man conquering space. That, that There's even evidence that these guys may have made it out. That, that's conjecture, but it's interesting. There's a lot of good proof that these guys were really smart somehow, which we know how. But anyway... Um, one of the biggest world cities, uh, point number five, Daniel. Remember Daniel? He ends up in Babylon. I mean, they, they go against Israel through the rest of the Old Testament, through most of it anyway. Uh, the Euphrates, I got a little picture of the Babylon in the upper corner, just a schematic of the map. It was right here on the Euphrates. The river actually ran through it, which is what Cyrus used to capture Babylon in the book of Isaiah later on, and, and Daniel. We kind of might talk about that. Um, got walls all the way around it. It had the hanging gardens. We've heard about the seven wonders of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Babylon was just an awesome place to be. Lots of temples. Any any map you see of Babylon, it's just full of temples to Baal and all kinds of gods. Marduk. Um, destruction of Babylon. It was destroyed. Babylon is ruins today. Um, it was destroyed back in Daniel 5 with Belshazzar. Remember, he was having the party, yeah. the drunken party, and uh, the hand was writing on the wall, and, and, and the troops from Cyrus were coming in. They came in under that river. Uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's when it was destroyed. 
Alright, number 12. This gets kind of interesting, I think. I don't know if you remember, but back in the 80s, Saddam Hussein, he fancied himself as a reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar. He was, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He was one of the most successful kings. Nebuchadnezzar, or Saddam Hussein thought he was the reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. So he spent a lot of the 80s and early 90s rebuilding Babylon. He made all these new bricks with his own name on it. He, he even issued this coin here that I put a picture of on the handout where that's Saddam Hussein and Nebuchadnezzar. That's, a, that's an actual coin that he made. Yeah, Pat? Hey, my my uh, niece's husband, he went over there and bought, a, I think it was in the Gulf War, and, um, or the one after that. Okay. Yeah. But he went through Babylon. They went. That's a museum now. And he said that they had, had put all the buildings, they had overlaid it in gold. He yeah. was redoing the whole city. Yeah. And the whole city was originally in gold, so he was redoing all of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Saddam was all about called himself the son of Nebuchadnezzar and all. He was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He was there too. Oh, was he? Army. Oh man. I know that's why we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all right. So number thirteen. This kind of starts getting into today's that that religious system, and we're going to talk about what it looked like. The religious system that Nimrod brought in back in Genesis ten is still alive and well today. It never went away. Even though Babylon, the city, was destroyed, we are still living under the influence of what he started, which he got it from the devil. And we'll talk about how how we know that. Alright, so, and I put Babylon represents Satan's city, just as Jerusalem is God's city. We all know that Jerusalem is the city of God. That's God's city. It's God's plan. Satan counterfeits everything. That's what I said last week. There is nothing about God and the Bible and God's plan the devil doesn't counterfeit. So, all right, so the next, now, this, I debated on the order of going through this stuff. Um, the next page is a, it's a, it's a busy diagram. Uh, I think, Carol, if you're still on, I'm going to send you these handouts uh, this week. I'll send you, I think, up, up to five. And if anyone else wants handouts that's online, just shoot me a PM there or a, a message. I'm actually banned from Facebook right now, but I can use Sherry's <laughs> to get stuff out. But, but I'll mail I'll mail you the handouts. All right. All right. Trying to think of the best way to explain this. Now, this this picture here. What I did there the the books that I mentioned. All right, let me think about this. When I got saved back when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, of course, the Bible is the number one book for teaching and learning, and, and that, that I've used and what we use. Well, there's also a number of other books that are just so beneficial to to the Christian life. You know the Christian walk and learning the the world we live in, and understanding history. One of them is Fox's Book of Martyrs. You know I've mentioned that many times. That's one of the first books. I think that was the first book I bought once after I got saved. I was working at the Independent Center. I bought Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it, and it just changed my outlook on Christianity and what I'm and my role here. 
another book was Clarence Larkin's Dispensational Truth, which I get a lot of material from for, for this class. Another book is a book called The Two Babylons. It's by a guy named Alexander Hislop. It was written in 1850-ish, 1853. That is just an awesome book. This guy wrote in the 1850s, and he just he, he spent years. He was a guy, he was an English, maybe Welsh, preacher that spent years documenting what we're going to talk about here. And his book has kind of become the standard that all people that we use now to help explain this. It's called The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. So what I did, I kind of took the book. Uh, it's, it's a hard book to read. It's very technical and his, his English is very precise. It's a hard book to read. I converted it to a drawing and made it simple. That's all I did. So let's just kind of look at this thing. At the top of your, at the top of the drawing, okay, you, we've got God's plan of redemptions on one side. We know what that is. Now the devil counterfeits everything. So what this shows is the counterfeit that went on, the imitation that went on, starting with Nimrod. So at the top of that little flow chart, we've got Nimrod married a lady named Simarius, however you'd pronounce that. They set up a religious system in, in Babylon, and this is all like legitimized through the history books. They set up a religious system in Babylon, Genesis chapter 10 stuff, of, of what we call Baal worship. All right? And, and I kind of went through the characteristics, and we'll talk about those in a second. Well, Nimrod ends up getting killed. And she, miraculous, she has this alleged baby named Tammuz that's supposed to be Nimrod reincarnated. So it's kind of a false, you know, virgin birth kind of thing. Um, and the, this, this three here is worshipped in Babylon. She's like the mother with the holy child worshipped in Babylon. And this influence was going on when the Tower of Babel was built. And then when it was crumbled and you know, God scattered the peoples, it was just carried all through his empire that he reached. And, and that's why all this shows up in other places. And we'll talk about that. So, Tammuz is in the Bible. Tammuz is in the Bible. Actually, in Ezekiel, he, God's chastising, chastising the people for celebrating Tammuz. Now, Tammuz... Nimrod was the god of the sun. He was a sun god, as was Tammuz. Tammuz is a sun god. The winter solstice at the end of December is whenever the days are the shortest. You know, we know that. It's just astronomy. So they would celebrate this guy's birthday at the end of December when the sun was the shortest, and they would have this big festival and uh, you know, try to bring him back, and then he would eventually come back in the spring as the days started getting longer. So that's kind of where the, the, the worship of these deities, these false deities at the solstice as their birthday, really started coming on. Um, and there's a lot about Tammuz. You can find him in a lot of places. So uh, that's Tammuz. Now next to that, I've got the characteristics of Baal worship. This is the kind of stuff that they brought in. Child sacrifices. 
It's in the Bible many times. So a lot of these, these are all in the Bible many times. I can only put a few verses because I'm, I'm limited on space. Child sacrifices. They would sacrifice their children to the sun god to help bring him back. Human sacrifices, same. Temple prostitutes and sexual worship, worship was very big in Baal worship. And we see that all through the Old Testament, how the devil's always bringing in immorality to the people, to God's people. That's how he trips us up. Um, eating human flesh and drinking blood was something else they did. There's a lot of verses on that, part of Baal worship. Um, images, they had statues, statues and pillars to their gods. They burned incense. They, they were big worshipers of the moon, stars, and sun. A lot of the Zodiac stuff they kind of perverted. Uh, worshiping on high places. You know, that probably rings a bell. All through the Old Testament, when God would tell the nation of Israel, go into this city and, and kill the groves and the high places, destroy the high places. It's not that God just doesn't like mountains or anything like that. These high places were places of worship. They had trees, they had little groves, they had little statues, they had temple prostitutes, they had everything there to help a person worship the sun at these high places. That's why God said get rid of it. And also, like Brian said last week, you know, people say mean old God, when God would say go in there, get rid of those high places, get rid of those groves, and kill everybody. You know, these children are illegitimate children from this sex worship stuff. I mean, it's just, it was just bad going on. That's what Brian was talking about last week because he got into some of this. Um, trees and groves, they were superstitious, big into astrology. That was kind of the characteristics of the Baal worship in Babylon. It just carried all the way through. Now, after the Tower of Babel, we see these same gods and these same worship methods showing up in Egypt. They just rebranded it. They renamed it Osiris and Isis. They also had a phony virgin-born Horus. It's the same thing in Egypt. Birthdays in late December. Most of these guys' birthdays in late December. Canaan had it with the Zidonians. You guys remember Jezebel? She was from Zidonia. That's up here. In Phoenicia. This area up here. So whenever Solomon married Jezebel, this is the stuff he brought in. That's why God was mad at him. The Ammonites, Molech, this is one that Brian talked about last week. The Ammonites were a little bit north. They were up in this area. They had they took the whole Baal thing and they created this god called Molech. This big mechanical god. They would put their babies in and burn them. Um, so yeah, it was really good. They have married Jezebel. Did I say Solomon? I think you said Solomon. Oh, yeah, it was Ahab. I'm glad you caught that. Yes, Ahab married Jezebel. And then Persia had the Mithra, and that's kind of still around today, Mithraism, myth- Mithanism. Uh, it's God of the sun. Um, actually, it's interesting with Mithra. He really, the, the book really talks about how the, the, the worship of Mithra, which is you know, Baal, the Romans latched onto. So when the Romans went up into Europe and conquered Britain, that's the religion they brought up there. So it's kind of helped mixed with paganism. So it's kind of interesting. So then the next line down, the below that, those gods kind of morphed into the Greek and the Roman. Because if you remember history, we, we talked about this when we talked about the 400 years 
between Malachi and Matthew what went on. The world powers shifted. Greece came into power and then uh, Rome came into power shortly before Christ. These gods of Babylon just followed suit. They just followed right along. The gods of Osiris and, and Isis and Egypt, now they become these new Greek gods. Same, different name, same gods. Lower G. Because we've all heard of Aphrodite, Venus. We've all heard of these. This is where they come from. They come. They sourced in Babylon. The Anglo-Saxon, Astera, goddess of the dawn. One of her little deity figures was the rabbit with Easter. So that's kind of where we get some of that. And then Apollo, the next block over, Apollo, the soul invictus was the big Roman incarnation of the Mithra born on December 25th it's the official sun god of Rome went all the way through official official god up in even 275 AD so what this is showing is that stuff that Nimrod started never went away it just keeps on coming out under a different face remember last week I talked about how the devil and Job Job chapters 40 and 41 are the best, some of the best chapters on the devil. God's not going to hide his face and his garment that he can change. Or his face that he can change his look. It's this kind of stuff. The devil's imitating God all through history, re, you know, rehashing this stuff. And here it is. All right. Now, notice on the right, or on the left side, you know, we had the cross as Jesus came, you know, in the year... 0, 4 AD. All right, what I tried to picture there was the Roman Catholic Church um, starting in 313 AD with, we all heard of Emperor Constantine. Emperor Constantine, Emperor of Rome, he takes a smattering of all these little, I tried to draw like pixie dust. He takes a smattering. He takes some truth out of God's plan and he takes all these other pagan things that were from Babylon, puts them in a grinder, and out comes the Roman Catholic Church. He marries them. He marries them. Yeah, he, this is during the Pergamos period, where they, the church is married to these pagan doctrines. This is where he brings in a lot of this stuff. This, and then the book... It goes through nauseating detail, tracing a lot, a lot more, and I didn't have time to get into all that. But so, so what we see here coming out the bottom of the funnel is what we have today: the Roman Catholic Church. And if any, and I, I am not against Catholics at all. I have friends that are Catholics. I'm just talking about the Church. The Roman Catholic Church is teaching the doctrines that were, that were started with. Nimrod at the first Babylon. So this Babylon is still here. And I just wrote a quick list of some of the things they teach that are they're big in the Catholic faith. That baptism can save you. Regeneration. The mass. The round wafer. That was big with those, this, in Egypt. The round wafers. The round, like sun god. You know, eating the round wafers. It was really started with Osiris. Um, purgatory, you know, the rosary, all these things that aren't in the Bible. Well, where are they from? 
they're from this this line of back to Babylon. So, because really, you know, we talked about the devil last week. And something I didn't mention that I've always thought was was interesting, was good is that the devil doesn't want us saved. Of course, he doesn't want any of us to get saved. Well, he he missed the boat. We did get saved. Hopefully, all of us here need to know the Lord. Well, now that we do, he wants to make us ineffective. He wants to confuse us and make us fearful. And this is some of the ways he's done that. He has developed a false system of teaching that we're living in to make us ineffective. We don't understand why Catholics do what they do. Why Jehovah's Witness do what they do. Islam, out of their own book, you know, I have the Quran, I've read it. Islam, Muhammad, had an uncle that was a Catholic. This is like 600 A.D. When Muhammad's forming a lot of his ideas about Islam, he's talking to a Catholic dude. So you can actually even draw Islam coming off of that. All false religions come out, out of this line. And, and I didn't draw it because I just ran out of space. But um, all of them. Buddhists come out of Islam. You know, uh, and then we've got all the American cults from the last hundred years, with the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and all that. They're all here. They're all part of Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots. This system is the mother of harlots, plural. There's a lot of them, but they all go back to one, Babylon. So that's what this is. That's heavy. Any questions? All right, because I'm kind of behind time here, big time. But all right, the next page. We're not going to go through this, but this is actually a regifting. I like to regift. Whenever I taught the book of Joshua, Joshua went into the Promised Land because, if you remember, this is another part of the piece of the pie here. When the children of Egypt were down here, the children of Israel were down in Egypt for 400 years making bricks for the Pharaoh. The devil's populating the promised land with these guys that worship this way. So whenever they go into the promised land, these are the peoples and the idols and the false religions that the children of Israel go against. So I put a little quick description uh, of all those things. You can read it on your own, but those are all in the Bible with verses. And that's where they all come from. They all come out of Nimrod in Babylon. All right, so the next picture... On the handout, this is the image, the beast that John that John saw. Uh, all right, the harlot. Is everybody looking at this top? All right, this is the image. It's a it's a harlot setting on a beast with seven heads and ten horns. This is Clarence Larkin's uh, rendition of it, which he's he's my favorite. He's my man. So I just took it out of his book and stuck it on here and added some explanation. The harlot is actually a city. It's not a person in the by and, and we don't have time right now if, if if you want just continue reading in chapter 17 and the angel tells him exactly what these things are and that's where I pulled all this from I swear, that's why I put verse references on them because I, you know, I'm not making this up It's the angel showed John what this image is so the harlot is actually a city and one of the keys is that she sets on seven hills 
which if you go to Google and, and, and just Google what city is on seven hills, it'll be Rome. They've, they've named all seven hills. Uh, so it's, and, then, and then Rome's colors, the Roman Catholic Church, are purple and scarlet. She is very wealthy. She's the mother of many false religions. Persecutor of Christians. Remember that cup she had. She hates us. And, if you, and when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, the Roman Catholic Church has butchered Bible believers for centuries. And uh, that book lays it out. It's just eye-opening. And Brian gets into it every once in a while. So, um, so the city, the, the heart of it is a city. Uh, she's got the all caps on her forehead that she's the, the mother of many false religions. The beast, of course, is the devil powering the Antichrist. You know, the beast is the Antichrist. Uh, what it's showing here is that the Antichrist, the devil is going to use this city. She's going to steer the beast. The devil is going to use the city of Rome to bring in the Antichrist. The golden cup. Wow. It's counterfeit of God's cup. It's full of abominable thing. You would not want to drink that cup. The ten, the seven heads. That gets pretty deep into explanation. A lot of this ties in with Daniel. Uh, but the seven heads are the seven mountains, which are kingdoms of Satan's government that he's used over the years. And that's why I listed the seven here, starting with Nimrod. You know, you guys recognize that list there, Pharaoh. These are all types of the Antichrist. These were kingdoms that the devil used to control over the years. And this is laid out in the book of Daniel. I didn't have time to lay all of it out. You just have to take my word for it for now. Um, and yeah, there's just so much. I, I just can't get into everything. So those those seven heads are seven king, kings of the Antichrist. The eighth, the eighth one's coming. What he does tell this uh, John is that there's seven on this beast. There's an eighth one coming. It's the Antichrist. But you'll know when the eighth one's coming is because of the seven. So we're still in Rome right now. Uh, the many waters that the, it says several times this beast is on waters. Waters is a type of people many times in the Bible. So this beast controls lots of people, lots of tongues, lots of nations. Many people are influenced by her. And then the ten horns, that's right out of Daniel. Those are the ten Gentile nations uh, that the Antichrist is going to use. The kings, Battle of Armageddon, we've all heard of that. The Antichrist is going to assemble a ten kingdom, ten Gentiles, ten nation federation to wipe out Israel. So that's what the ten horns represent. And I don't have, I just, I feel like I haven't done justice to that, but uh, that's kind of a, a primer. If you're interested in it, you've got all the material. I can help you out. All right, so this is a lot of info. Last page. What's this mean to me? So what? You know, we know we know this that church is bad. We know that the influence they've had. Well, I got thinking about this. Um, we are living in a spiritual Babylon. Babylon, the city is gone, but these the influences they started are still here, and I've got to live among them every day, and then you do too, all of us do. So I got thinking. We're living in a spiritual Babylon. Daniel, in the Old Testament was living in Babylon. So I went and looked at Daniel. 
And there's a lot of things we can learn from Daniel on how we should take this material and deal with it. All right, so here and here's what what I kind of put here on the paper. If you remember, let, let's go to Daniel one. Let's just flip back. And while we're turning, remember Daniel. Daniel lived in Jerusalem. Daniel's a good guy. He's actually a teenager. When you when you read about Daniel, they always show him being an old guy, but he was really a teen. You know, people think he's like 14, 15 years old, 16. All right. Get my stick. Daniel is living in Jerusalem. Teenager. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which is over here, is laying siege to Jerusalem. And he actually lays siege to it for three years. And it just, it's awful. We, we talked about that when we went through the Kings and the Chronicles. And they make three different deportations. They, three times Nebuchadnezzar took a bunch of slaves to Babylon. Daniel went, Ezekiel went, several of those guys went. Well, Daniel was one of the, him and his four friends, or three buddies, they went out in the first. And they got taken to Babylon. Um, and that's kind of where we pick up this. So he's a teenager living in Babylon, kind of like the way we are today. Uh, and look what the devil wants to do through Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the devil, so we can look at him that way. Uh, let's see, verse 1, he gets captured. Verse 2, I'm just kind of skimming through here. Yeah, look at verse 2. Which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. So he, Shinar is kind of synonymous or analogous with Babylon. It'll show up with Babylon. Uh, the king spake unto his master of his eunuchs that he should bring... On the verse 3. Nebuchadnezzar wants certain of the children of Israel and of the king's speed and of the princes. Verse 4. Children in whom was no blemish, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in all knowledge and understanding science. Uh, And such had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Alright, here's a way we can look at this. Daniel, he's just like us. He's God's people. Nebuchadnezzar, the devil, he wants Daniel. He wants some of God's people that he can teach to talk like the devil's people, to act like the devil's people, and to be the servant of Nebuchadnezzar, the devil. So verse 5, here's how he's going to do it. And this is what he wants for us. And verse 5, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the devil, appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, and at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So what the devil did here with Daniel and his friends is the same thing the devil wants to do to us. He wants to give us a daily provision of the devil's food so that after a couple years we'll serve him. And that's that's how he works today. You know, we have that. I mean, we get up. It's good to get up in the morning and read our Bible for an hour or whatever you have time for. But the rest of the day, 
the devil's like offering up the best he has, the best Netflix, the best movies, the best of everything, to get you to eat that daily provision. So after a space of time, you'll serve him. Okay. Now what happened with Daniel? Um, and I, I, you know, I didn't put the verses on here. The devil has a plan for your life. That's in verse four. That was his plan to teach them to talk like the devil's kids. Teach them to act, teach them to think like the Babylonians. How the devil attacks and influences us is in verse 5. He wants to give us a daily provision of his filth to eat. Alright, how to counterattack it is in verse 8. Daniel purposed, this is verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. And that's what we've got to do. We all have a choice every day when we get up if we're going to eat the devil's food, provision for that day. Daniel had a choice. We all have a choice every single day. Daniel purposed, I'm not going to eat that food that they're trying to get me to eat. All right, how will God bless your faithfulness? Down in verse 17. You know, they make a stand. We, we know the story. Hopefully we've heard how Daniel says, I'm not eating that filth. I'm gonna, I want to eat vegetables. I want to eat what God wants me to eat. Veggie, veggies. Pulse is veggies. You know, the Jews had a very strict dietary, just like today. I'm not eating the devil's food. I'm going to eat what God wants me to eat. And Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, go for it. And they did. And after a period of time, they were found healthier and in better shape than the devil's kids that were eating the filth. So, in verse 17, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams. He blessed them for it. So kind of what I put on the last page, I think it's the last page, is Daniel had a day of decision. Daniel had a day appointed when you're going to stand before the king um, and, you know, just like we do, every day we have to decide what, what we're going to do. Because, like, all this information about all these false religions, all this Babylonian influence that is all around us, I mean, it's shocking. The, the days of our week, our months, everything about our culture is modeled after this stuff that's in this false religion leg of that drawing. We are just saturated with it. We are living in a spiritual Babylon. What are we going to do with it? We're going to reject it. We've got to live among it, of course. But we're not going to eat of the filth if we have a choice. And that's what, and that's what Daniel did. Um, uh, I don't really have much more on that. So I'm just kind of skimming through, make sure I didn't miss anything. Yeah, and Daniel, another thing too about the, in the integrity part. Daniel was, you know, like six or eight hundred miles away when he was in Babylon. He could have ate the filth, and no one would have known back in Jerusalem. You know, so he really had, it really shows his integrity that I'm not eating that, even though no one will know. So whenever we're alone and we're tempted to do something that God doesn't want us to do, just think about Daniel, the integrity he had. That he said, "No, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to eat what God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do." 
So that was his day of decision that we all have every day. So that's what I think about when I think about Babylon. I'm living in Babylon. I'm a Daniel. You're a Daniel. So that is the mystery religion of, of Babylon the harlot. Is any questions? Because we covered a lot of material. That was that could have went deep. Tried not to. No questions. All right. Probably a lot of questions. All right, which one you want? You can shut the other one. Oh. Wait, there it is. There all right, we just got a couple minutes. Uh, wow, that was so good. I actually have the book uh, Two Babylons by. A, oh, you have it too? I've thumbed through it. I've never read it. It's hard to read. I've read oh, it. Sorry, it looked it very, it looked very difficult.